Well, welcome everybody, and thank you so much for coming and being a part of our service this morning. If, if you're visiting with us, we always want to extend a special welcome to our guests and visitors, whether you're here in person or checking us out online. We're really glad you would take some time to spend this time with us as well. Uh, if you are new, uh, my name is Don, and I'm on the pastoral team here at Grace, and uh, today, we are finishing up a little series we've been in in Psalm 139. This is kind of the third week of that three-week series. Um, and the series is called Known. And the idea is we, we kind of came out of Daniel where we looked at just the greatness of the sovereignty of God over nations and kingdoms and the present and the future and uh, just the bigness of who God is. But wanted to take some time to kind of bring that down into the reality that God is not only this big sovereign God over history, but he's very personal and very committed to us and very personal with us as his people. And so today is the third series in that, or, or third message in that series. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139 verses 13 through 18 primarily today. And the title of the message for today is The God Who Keeps You. Well, you know, I have to confess, um, I am not a big fan of camping. I mean, if you love camping, I'm happy for you. But some of the worst experiences of my life have been while camping. Um, I've only been camping about three times, to tell you the truth. But I have vivid memories of every one of those times, and they're all bad. Uh, I remember one time we were camping in uh, the Shenandoahs down Skyline Drive. It was in the fall. Uh, we're on the kind of hill. Uh, campsite is on a hill. And it's pouring rain all night long. And it's cold. And water is run, literally running through the tent. Uh, it, it was miserable. But probably the worst camping experience of my life and my last time camping, that was it, was about 20 years ago when our daughters were in middle school and uh, the, the middle school ministry for um, girls here at the church did a father-daughter camping trip up at Elk Neck State Park. It was July, uh, right around the 4th of July, I think. Uh, it was the hottest day in 100 years. Uh, the humidity was at least 110%. You literally would sit in the shade and drip sweat. I mean, that, that's what it was like. Uh, and I can still vividly remember kind of putting our tent up and being inside the tent, trying to pump up an air mattress with a foot pump. And I'm just, just sweat is just pouring off of me, and it didn't stop the whole night long. Uh, it was one of the worst experiences I can ever remember. That was it for me for camping. Now, and, and I have to say, I don't know a lot about camping. But one of the few things that I do know is that when you're putting up a tent on your campsite, it's wise to use some tent stakes to keep your tent stable and secure. If you're not a camper, tent stakes, or you drive these stakes into the ground and you kind of attach the corners of your tent to it. And it's driving these stakes into the ground that keeps the tent from being blown away if a strong wind or a storm should come. 
And so those stakes, they, they really kind of give you peace to know that if things go bad with the weather, your tent and belongings will hopefully be safe and secure. And those stakes are the anchor you need if the weather starts to press in on you. But you know, it's not just tents that need to be anchored to stay secure and stable. The same thing is really true when it comes to our lives. Like the weather, life can at times press in on us and be difficult. The winds can blow. The storms can come. And when those moments come, as they will for all of us sooner or later, we too need some anchors that have the power to hold things in place. Some stakes that will help us have peace in our souls when things, that things are still under control in those moments when life presses in. And that's where Psalm 139 can really be valuable to us. You see, David, who wrote this psalm, he, he knew what it felt like when life presses in on you. Uh, there's some evidence that the context for this song, the situation that it was written in, was 2 Samuel 16. And in 2 Samuel 16, David is fleeing from Jerusalem his son Absalom, who killed one of his brothers, David, one of David's other sons, murdered him, has now rebelled against David and drawn away the people so that he has literally taken the kingdom from David. And David is fleeing for his life. And he is being vilified by the people. He's being accused of not being a good king, and to make things worse as he's sort of running to escape for his life. There's a guy who's kind of following along with him named Shimei who's walking along the, the mountain ridge and just throwing, shouting down curses at him about how evil he is, how bad he is the whole time. And Psalm 139 is David reminding himself in this moment of the stakes that he has driven into the ground in his relationship with God. And so over these three weeks, we've been looking at some of these different stakes that he gives us in Psalm 139. And so Psalm 139 tells us that the same great sovereign God who rules and reigns in power over the kingdoms and nations of the world, who does as he pleases with all earthly powers and authorities, that this same great sovereign God is extremely personal and deeply committed to you in his love and care for you. He knows you and everything about you, he knows your present and your future and watches over you as you walk through this life. He is always present with you in every moment, in every situation and circumstance you may face. You are never alone. And so today, there is one more stake we want to look at in this psalm because not only does God know you and not only is he always with you, but in our text for today, in Psalm 139, 13 through 18, 
we see that he is also in loving control of every moment of your life. From the moment of your conception to the moment you enter into eternity, God is in perfect loving control of your every moment. And in those times when life presses in on you, one of the stakes you need to have driven into the ground is knowing and believing that God's sovereign power is in loving control of your every moment. And that's really the big idea for the message today. When life presses in, God's sovereign power is in loving control of your every moment. So before we take a look at this passage, let's take a moment and ask God for his help. Well, Lord, as we come to you today, we do invite the presence of your spirit to be here with us, to fill this place. Lord, as we look at these words that you have given us in this psalm, Lord, through your servant David, Lord, we pray that you would speak them to our hearts and our souls, that you would minister them through your grace and your power, that these would be stakes that would be driven into the ground in our lives. So, Lord, I pray you would give me grace to represent you accurately and faithfully today, and you would fill me with your spirit that you might serve and bless your people through this word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So two things we want to draw from these verses this morning that help us to know and to trust that God's sovereign power is in loving control of our every moment. The first one is God's sovereign power designed and created you. See, God's perfect loving control over your life began literally in the moment of your conception. When who you are was first being formed in the womb, God uniquely designed and created everything about you. I mean, the language in these verses couldn't communicate that more strongly than it does. If we were to look back at verses 11 and 12, this isn't part of today, but in verses 11 and 12, David is talking about how God's presence is not only always with him, but it's with him in the darkest, most hidden, secret places that there are. 
And as we begin our section today in verse 13, he kind of builds right from that. And, and in verse 13, begins with, for you formed my inward parts. In other words, because God is with you in the deepest, darkest, most secret places, the reality of his presence being with you literally begins when you were hidden in the darkness of the womb. See, God's presence was there with you in the darkness of the womb when your body was being formed and made. When your eyes and lungs and every inner part of your being were being crafted and formed, God was there. And this phrase, inward parts, in verse 13, it also includes the idea of your soul and your identity. See, the deepest, most core parts of who you are. He was shaping and designing every detail of your being. Verse 12 says, he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And the language here is is like an artist who's creating this beautiful tapestry. And he's carefully weaving each thread to make this incredibly beautiful picture. In verse 15, David says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You can hear the, the knitting language there. And the depths of the earth is really it's used as a metaphor that refers to the hidden place of the womb where no one can see. And so God was carefully crafting and designing you in secret where no one can see like an artist working on a work of art in his private studio. And you know, so think about this. You know, the experience of COVID over these last two years has resulted in a lot of things I would just as soon forget. But through all the challenges of that COVID created, there was at least one thing that I am grateful for that I wouldn't have experienced without it. You see, I'm a little bit of a research nerd by nature, and so when COVID came out and and all these things were going on with the scientists and the the medical stuff about, you know, how the disease affected people and, and then related to the vaccines and all the things related to that, I spent a lot of time really digging into and trying to understand all that was going on with the science of what was happening. And, you know, I've often marveled at just the wonder of our human bodies. I mean, you just just... Take your hand, for example, just your hand, the way it's designed, the way it functions, the way you can control it, or your eye, you know, that you can see, and the way that all the intricate parts of your eye work to give you the ability to see. I mean, that's just incredibly amazing, isn't it? But the more that I dug into how COVID affected the human body and the way the cells that make up our body function, I mean, the more amazed that I became at the incredible complexity and intricate detail that takes place in that realm. I mean, there are so many complex and intricate things going on at that level that work to keep us alive and healthy that are literally still beyond our ability to fully understand. 
I mean, scientists estimate that there are over 200 different types of cells, making up over 30 trillion total cells in a typical human body. And all of them functioning and working together in extremely complex ways to allow you to be here this morning participating in this service. And the structure and function of literally countless tiny proteins and enzymes that regulate and manage the functioning of all the different cells of our body at literally the most basic level of our physical being. It is an intricate complexity that is just truly beyond our ability to comprehend. And you know, the more I learned about how all that works, the more I thought, how could anyone think this incredible complexity and order could possibly have come to be by chance? I mean, it, it just seems to me that it takes far more faith to believe that than to believe that there was an intelligent designer behind it all. And the more I learn, the more in awe and wonder of the God who made us and designed all these things I became. And so the language here in Psalm 139, it, it couldn't be clearer. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And the, the Hebrew word for unformed substance, it, it literally has the idea of embryo. You see, God fashions and designs human beings even as they are prenatal embryos in the womb. You see, you don't become a human being at some point during pregnancy. You are a human being from the very moment of conception. And you know, I think if we understand these things, if we see these realities, then it isn't hard to see why the issue of abortion matters to God. You see, if God is the creator and designer of every human being from the point of conception, then to say that an embryo is not a human life just doesn't seem to make sense. In Genesis 1.27 it tells us, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created a male and female. He created them. See, God created and designed Adam and Eve. Life belongs to him. It isn't ours to do what we want with. And God didn't just make Adam and Eve as a prototype and wind them up and kind of let them go and create the rest of the human race without him. No, the truth is God is still creating every human being that ever lived. He doesn't do it the same way he did Adam and Eve, but he is still intricately, personally creating and designing every human being. Life belongs to him. That's why taking another person's life was wrong in God's law unless you were part of the authority that God delegated to uphold his law. In Job 31.15, as Job is speaking about how he would deal with someone who was one of his servants or someone else that he knew who had a complaint against him. 
Part of his rationale is in Job 31.15. He says, did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? You see, every human being has dignity and worth because they are created in God's image and designed by him from the moment of conception. And the issue of abortion in our culture, it it has many complexities surrounding it that really call for compassion and wisdom in how we care for everyone involved. I mean, there are health issues that can affect mother or child that need to be considered wisely and with care for both parties' well-being. There are complexities involving rape and incest that need to be worked through wisely and with care. There are complexities related to how to care for children who are brought into this world by parents who can't or won't care for them properly. And working through these kinds of issues involve legitimate problems and concerns that need to be handled and thought through with care and wisdom. And in our desire to honor God and uphold his truth as Christians, we can't be unaware or unconcerned about the complexities of these things. But Psalm 139 tells us that life belongs to God and is created by God in the very earliest stages of the womb. And we simply don't have the right before God to terminate or end what God has done in creating a human being solely for the sake of convenience. And let me, I also want to say this, that if you happen to be here today and, or listening in, and you're someone who's had an abortion, It is in no way my desire to make you feel guilt or condemnation in any way. See, abortion is not the unpardonable sin. The shed blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to cover and wash as white as snow any choices you may have made in this area that you might now think differently about, just as it does the many other sins that we all have committed in our lives. In Romans 8.1, the Apostle Paul says it simply, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if that happens to be you, I just want you to know that God's grace through faith in Jesus is more than sufficient to secure your forgiveness, your acceptance by God, and to keep you eternally secure in his love and grace. And I hope that you would find Grace Community to be a church where that same grace and love is on display towards you in the lives of those who are a part of this church family. But Psalm 139 clearly tells us that God's loving control began in your life from the moment you were conceived. And you know, as as David reflects on this reality in this psalm, he can't help but proclaim in verse 14. He says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. As I was thinking about that verse, I 
I was reminded back when I worked down in Baltimore City before I came on staff here at the church, and I worked down in the city for about 27 years. And I was in the human services field down there, so we did a lot of things like, you know, child care and helping people find employment and stuff like that. And there were a lot of people that I worked with, and, and many of them were Christians, and, and many of them were just people who were, who were there because they just wanted to make a difference in helping people. And I remember from being down there that as I would go around to people's offices and cubicles and all the different places that I was in and about down there, uh, there was one little kind of photocopied little flyer that I would see again and again and again and again kind of pinned to people's cubicle walls or taped to their office. If we could bring that up. And, and this was that flyer. I know I'm somebody... Because God don't make no junk. And that might be old school. And it was just a photocopied little piece of paper that didn't look very nice that was attached to the wall. But that flyer couldn't be more true. You see, God purposely designed and created you to be who you are. He has designed and created you exactly as he wanted you to be. God is the author and creator of every detail of your being. No matter how you may feel at times, you are not a mistake. And the world may try to make you feel that way, but you are exactly who God intended you to be. You're not second rate. You aren't less valuable or significant because you're different from other people. And you don't have to be anybody else other than who you are. Because it was God's sovereign power that designed and created you. And that brings me to the second thing I want to draw from this passage this morning. And that is, God's sovereign power keeps you from conception to eternity. See, while God has designed and created every human being just as he wanted them to be, there is really much more to this passage in Psalm 139 than just that. While every human being has been created by God with dignity and value in his image, these verses speak far more of the special love and commitment God has for his people. In verse 14, David says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this phrase, wonderfully made, that, that, that translation doesn't quite capture it. It's a very unusual word. And it has the idea of not only being created, but being set apart. It's this idea that God made him and set him apart for himself. You see, if you're one of God's people, God just didn't design and create you. He made you for himself and for his purpose. He designed you according to his wise and good plan for your life. He created you to be his. We see this in Jeremiah 1.5 when God speaks to Jeremiah he says this he says before I formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you I appointed you a prophet to the nations 
God tells Jeremiah, before you were ever formed in the womb, I knew you. You were mine, he's saying. And before you were born, he says, I consecrated you. It means I set you apart. Same kind of idea as in Psalm 139. Now, Jeremiah was set apart and called by God to be a prophet. And if you're a believer, you may not be called by God to be a prophet like Jeremiah. But in the same way as Jeremiah, you have been uniquely created and designed by God according to his specific plan for how you will bring him glory in your life. I think Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2.10. He says this, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You hear what Paul's saying? God has a plan for your life. He's prepared good works before you were ever born for you, that you should walk in them. And there, so there is no characteristic or quality about you that isn't purposeful and meaningful. I mean, even your flaws and weaknesses have been woven into your design to fulfill God's good purpose for your life to bring him glory. He was in perfect control of your design and creation. And he is in perfect control of everything in your life since that first moment in the womb. David says it in verse 16. He says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. He says, every day of my life, God, you've you've already written in your book. You have a plan for my life. And so from the moment that you were conceived in the womb, God has planned every one of your days when not one of them had yet taken place. And and you know, here's the amazing thing. This, This reality in no way diminishes the responsibility and genuineness of the choices that we make in life. I mean, in the midst of our genuine ability to choose and make decisions, God is somehow still in sovereign, loving control of all that happens in our life. I mean, there is mystery there that we cannot fully comprehend in our human limitations And while we may not be able to fully understand how God can be in complete sovereign control of everything that happens in our life, and we can be completely responsible for the choices and decisions we make, somehow that mystery may be difficult or impossible for us to fully grasp. But one thing is clear, that if you read your Bible carefully, it clearly in many, many places affirms both of those. And I remember when this kind of first hit me, if you will. Um, It wasn't too long after I got saved in January of 1985. And, um, you know, I was saved around the age of 31. And in the 30 years prior to that time, uh, I, I made a lot of dumb decisions, a lot of bad decisions. I mean, you couldn't have 
made many more dumb decisions than probably I made in those years. And uh, uh, there were a number of times that I would have found myself in situations where if it had just turned a little bit one way or the other, I might not be here today. And so when I got saved in January of 1985, I remember thinking back over my life to those things, and, and I just realized how much God had been there with me in those times. And how, you know, I, I thought I got saved in January of 1985, but I realized God had saved me so many times in the past from myself. You know, I, I just would often think of God's kind of looking down on me saying, this poor boy. If I don't do something to help him, he's just going to destroy himself before I can ever bring him into my family. And, and I just realized that God had saved me my life again and again and again. And it, and it just hit me all of a sudden. I didn't become one of God's children in January of 1985. I had always been. I just didn't know it until I put my trust in Christ in 1985. But I belong to God long before the day of my salvation. I belong to him from the moment of my conception. And the things that I could think about from my past, those are just the ones that I'm aware of. And so there is nothing that happens to you that God doesn't use to work out his perfect plan for your life. Even our most painful moments and deepest wounds, even the times when evil invades our lives in some way, God is at work using even those things to show his glory as he changes and transforms us by the power of his grace. And even in the most difficult times and painful times of your life, God's hand was there upon you. He was shielding you so that you would not be destroyed. And you know, when we think about this psalm, David was, he was familiar with pain and trouble and heartache in his life. I mean, if the context of this psalm is correct, that when this was happening in 2 Samuel 16, I mean, think about what's going on in that moment. David is, he's literally fleeing for his life. He's lost the kingdom that God anointed him to have. His family is in shambles. The people that he trusted as his advisors have abandoned him and turned away and to follow Absalom. It's the people that he gave his life to to serve are cursing him and attacking him and vilifying. I mean, just imagine what must be going through his mind as he thinks about God's purpose for his life. I mean, you can imagine how he must be feeling in that moment. How he must be tempted to question God's care and God's plan for his life in that moment as life pressed in on him. And yet he knew that God was still in loving, sovereign control of every moment of his life. 
He knew that in the midst of all the challenges and troubles, he was precious to God and that he could trust God to keep him through it all. And so he says in verses 17 and 18, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. See, David knew that God was always thinking about him, just as he is always thinking about us. His attention is fully on us every second. He is never distracted. He's never caught sleeping or looking in some other direction. His eyes and thoughts are constantly directed toward us with his full attention. He is thinking about you constantly. His thoughts towards you are beyond counting. They are literally infinite in number, he says. And in verse 17, David says that these infinite thoughts God has towards him, they're, they're precious to him. In other words, they, they don't cause fear or guilt, even with David's many faults and failings throughout his life. And they are precious because they are a statement of God's love and commitment to him, literally despite all those faults and failings. You see, God is constantly attentive to us, determined to work out his good purposes in our lives, despite our failures and shortcomings. And he is in perfect loving control of our every moment, and he will fulfill his every purpose in our lives. And so in verse, at the end of verse 18, David says, I awake and I am still with you. Now maybe David's talking about that when he wakes up in the morning, he realizes God's still with him, but I don't think that's what he's saying here. Because that would be pretty redundant of things he's already said earlier in this psalm. I think what David is saying here is that he knows that despite all these difficulties that he's facing, despite the fact that life seems to have gone in a direction that was totally not what he ever expected, that things seem to be really bad and he doesn't see any way out of this at the moment, he knows that God is going to see him through, not only through this, but all the way to the end of his life. And when the time comes, when the sleep of death comes upon him at the end of this life, I think what he's saying here is when I awake from that, I know I'll still be with you. See, this is David saying that his confidence in God keeping him all the way into eternity. See, David knows that God's sovereign power is not only in loving control of every moment in this life, that it will keep him through the storms and winds that come when life presses in, as it often does. But David knows that whatever may come in this life, God's sovereign power is also in perfect loving control of securing his place in eternity. And in those times when life presses in, our peace is found in what we know about God, about who he is and who he is to us. 
See, these things are stakes we need to drive into the ground to keep the tent of our life stable and secure when the winds and storms of life come. And if David needed to remind himself to do this, I mean, wouldn't it make sense that we do as well? But you know, as we consider Psalm 139 this morning, we need to be aware that this psalm isn't really written to apply to everyone. This psalm is directed specifically to those who are God's people. I mean, we can see that in verses 19 through 22. We can see that not everyone is included among those whom these precious truths apply to. In verses 19 through 22, we see a real turn in David's focus in this psalm. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now that feels kind of harsh after this wonderful truths that he's been reminding himself of in the rest of this song. But see, I think here's, the, I think here's what's going on here. I think David so loves this God and so identifies himself with this God who has been so gracious and kind to him that anyone who hates God or is an enemy of God is an enemy of him as well. I mean, it's kind of like if, if you had a child or a loved one and, and someone was just really trying to do evil to them and hurt them and harm them and do things against them. It's not hard to understand why you, they might be your enemy too. But you know, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that all of us are born into this world as sinners who are enemies of God. We're all hostile to God's law and his rule over our lives. We've all gone our own way, chosen to do our own thing. We don't live our lives to give glory and glorify God. We, 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 don't, give, we don't honor his authority. We choose to go our own way and do our own thing. And yet you can't read this psalm without seeing that God is a personal God who you can know and have a personal loving relationship with. And David looked forward to the promise that God would provide a way for his adultery and murder and many other sins that he committed in his life to be paid for and forgiven. And he trusted God for that promise. And his faith in that promise is what enabled him to have that relationship with God where he could genuinely say and know these truths that he shares in Psalm 139. And in our day, we really look back to the fulfillment of that promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because that's really what Jesus came into this world to do. He came into this world to make a way for us to have this kind of relationship with God. He came to 
make a way for us to move out of verses 19 through 22 and be in that category, to move into the category of those who have a relationship with God like David describes in the rest of this psalm. And he did that by coming into this world and and living a perfectly obedient, righteous life. And he gave himself to die in our place on a cross, to take all the things that we had done in our being an enemy of God. He took them upon himself, and he became an enemy of God in our place and took the judgment and punishment that we deserved so that we might be able to receive forgiveness and be brought into a relationship with God. And and he gave us his very righteousness as a gift to us that it might be used to bring us into God's favor and blessing. You see, without the forgiveness of our sins and the perfect righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, What's written in this psalm becomes a frightening reality. To come into God's holy presence as an unforgiven sinner who God would see as his enemy is a terrifying experience. To be known fully by God is for him to know your every wrong thought, word, and deed for which you are subject to his holy judgment and wrath. And there is nothing peaceful or comforting about that kind of encounter with God. And so if you happen to be here listening today and and you've never put your trust in Jesus to be a savior for you. God God is inviting you today. He, He sent Jesus to make a way for you to have that kind of personal relationship where if you will put your trust in the genuineness of your heart in Jesus and what he did, he will forgive your sins. He will bring you into his family and you can have this same kind of intimate personal relationship where God is lovingly watching over and keeping you every moment of your life. And you enter into that relationship by faith, by by saying to God that you choose to trust his provision of a savior for you in Jesus. If I could have the band worship team come and join me. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, I mean, God knows everything about you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your past, present, and future perfectly. He's always with you in every situation and circumstance you may find yourself in. You are never alone. And God's sovereign power is in loving control of your every moment. From the moment of your conception to the moment you wake up in eternity, his grace and love will be sufficient to keep and care for you in every moment in between. And we must drive these stakes in the ground of our souls and ever remind ourselves of them, particularly when life presses in. 
Because if these stakes are driven deep into the ground of our soul, then when life presses in, we will be able to respond in those seasons the way David does in verses 23 and 24. Here's what he says as he finishes out this psalm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David ends this psalm with an appeal for God to search him and know him. And this this isn't a restatement of God being the all-knowing God. This is an appeal for David's own benefit. See, in light of these great truths of God's loving care for him, David trusts God even in these extremely difficult times he finds himself in when life is pressing in. And David wants to walk out those challenging times in a way that pleases and honors God to the best of his ability. And he is asking God to show him and reveal to him anything in his life where he may not be doing that. To lead him in the way to walk through these challenging difficulties in a way that would please and honor God. He wants to walk with God and follow him in how he responds. And that is an appropriate response for us as well. See, when life presses in on us, we're to seek to walk through those times literally one moment by moment, day by day at a time, in a way that pleases and honors God to the best of our ability. And we won't be perfect. David certainly wasn't. We'll fail. We'll foul it up. You know, there's something about the reality that when life presses in, it squeezes out impurities in our life, right? And some of the failure is all part of how God's working to work out his purpose and plan. But these stakes that we see in Psalm 139, they can help us walk through those times in that way. They can help us battle and put away anxiety and fear and anger. They can help us resist being demanding or seeking to control things in our own self-sufficiency because these are the very things that steal our peace in those times. And we can know with confidence that God is committed to help us as we seek to walk through those challenging times in a God-honoring way. And so if you find life pressing in on you today, or whenever that time comes, because it will at some point, let's drive these stakes deep into the ground of our souls before we get there. Or if we're there now, while we're there. So that when life presses in, we can have peace because of what we know about God and who he is to us. We know that he knows us and everything about our lives perfectly. We know that he's always with us and will never leave us. And we know that his sovereign power is in loving control of every moment of our lives.